Hello, welcome to Barely Christian, Fully Christian. This is Annie Ponder. This podcast explores loving Jesus, being repulsed by much of Christianity, and relating to the Holy Spirit as the Divine Feminine, or as I prefer to call her, Mama God. Today I'm talking with singer-songwriter John Hatfield. We'll hear some of his beautiful music, and you'll hear themes of peacemaking and nonviolence, along with elevating the voice of the feminine within the church and finding Mama God. Welcome. Hello, John Hatfield, and welcome. I am so thrilled to talk with you today. Thank you for being here. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, For anybody who hasn't yet heard of this singer-songwriter, John Hatfield first came on my radar when um, actually a teacher of his, and I'll let him talk about that, posted something on Instagram, posted this incredible song, and it caught my attention. It gave me full body goosebumps and made me want to get to know you right away. And so that's how I uh, first came to know about you. So uh, John Hatfield is studying well, let me let me have you talk about this because I think it's so beautiful. Uh, yeah, I'm studying theology and culture in a master's program at St. Stephen's University in New Brunswick, Canada. Um, and that teacher that you referenced is Bradley Jerzak, who is the author of Out of the Embers, I think is the book that, that you have by him. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, uh, Bradley was kind enough to repost a song that I had written um, on his Instagram and I, I, that found its way to you. That's right. Yes. And, uh, I just absolutely, um, what is a good word here? Appreciate doesn't seem strong enough, but I'm so, so glad to, to have had conversations with Bradley and hear his take on many, many things, his very well-informed theological take. And, um, so when he, he put you out into the world for me to hear. I was like, I got to know who this guy is. Mm. Um, so tell me more about this theology and culture with the emphasis that you were speaking of. Yeah. Um, so St. Stephen's has uh, what I think is a really unique um, delivery for their for their master's program. And, and I first became aware of it back in 2020. Um, I was looking for a graduate program. Um, and and at the time, the the sort of attached institute to the university was called the Institute of Religion, Peace, and Justice. Um, mm. It's now called the the Jim Forrest Institute, um, but with the same with the same focus. So um, the the institute is is focused on uh, developing peacemakers, um, and and with the with the intent of having, you know, raising up peacemakers who are, who are, um, spiritually formed and are focused on nonviolent conflict transformation and things like that. And so they had a bridge program, um, that started in, in that Institute and, uh, and progressed into the, the masters of arts in theology and culture. And so that's the track that I took and, and, um, you know, those beginning courses focused on like inner transformation and interreligious hospitality and cooperation and conflict transformation and kind of the um, the practical peace building aspects. Um, and so that was my sort of my introduction to 
to SSU, um, and I have continued on in the theology and culture track. Um, and they've, they've since developed multiple uh, other tracks, including a dedicated uh, master's in peace studies. Um, wow. They have some, they have some pretty amazing – a, a component of that program is a study abroad trip uh, to the UK and Ireland um, to, to hear firsthand from, from folks who um, went through the troubles in, mm-hmm. in Ireland um, and, and to hear how they've, um, you know, how those two countries have cooperated in, in building a lasting peace. And that's still an ongoing work. Um, mm. And mm. so uh, SSU is really doing some amazing, amazing things. Um, even as a smaller school, um, they're, they're connected to so many other um, institutions. One of those is, is Bethlehem Bible College, uh, where Dr. Reverend Dr. Munther Isaac is uh, faculty. Um, mm. and, and we'll talk, I think we'll probably talk about him quite a bit more in terms uh-huh. of uh, the song that we were referencing earlier. And, um, you know, so I've, I've been, oh gosh, it's, it's been such a blessing to be a part of that community, uh, to have, to have a group of, of like-minded, um, people who are, who are pursuing the kingdom of God in, in a, in a very tangible way. Mm-hmm. And in that very tangible kind of Matthew five sermon on the Mount beatitudes kind of way, um, that's what uh, strikes me when when you introduce this to me is you know I'm taking theology and culture a master's degree with an emphasis in nonviolence and peacemaking. I thought, why aren't we all taking uh, upper level studies with an emphasis in nonviolence and peacemaking? That seems like disciples of Jesus um, yeah. need some training, need some experience, some field work in that area yeah. because. Our culture, um, you know, in, in many different aspects, but particularly the culture that I was raised in, and I think you and I have talked a little bit about your upbringing as well, does not have a heavy emphasis on what it looks like to be a peacemaker, but much more of, uh, I don't know, what's the opposite, a warmonger, or um, at least somebody who has enemies and bombs them. Yeah, um, and and I think... I think if we're following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus, um, that is, that is the work, right? Allowing ourselves to be open to that kind of transformation of becoming a peacemaker, becoming more Christ-like in that way. Um, the tradition that I grew up in, you know, at, at best when Matthew five, six and seven was talked about and, and the Beatitudes were preached on, it was maybe an ideal that mm-hmm. that we could, you know, I don't even want to say aspire to. Like it was an ideal that was unattainable for fallen humans. Um, right. And at worst, it was also there to show us what as fallen humans we could not be. You right. Know, maybe, maybe what Christ was, but what we could not be. And so... um coming into contact with other theologies around those ideas has been really helpful for me um, in seeing that the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes specifically, like that is the program 
for the way of Jesus. Like it is a, it is a, a way to be. Um, and Bradley talks about that a lot in his writing um, as well, that, that following Jesus looks like living the Sermon on the Mount, that it looks mm-hmm. like, um, and that discipleship is a journey in, into a more full expression of that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not an arrival, certainly. Um, and it is a constant pursuit and divestiture of self. Um, and, and, you know, becoming, um, one of the other professors in the, and the director of, of the Jim Forrest Institute, Andrew Clager would say that it, it's the journey of becoming human, mm. um, mm. Right? like actually becoming yeah. human. Uh, we are, he, he says, and I'm not sure, I think he's quoting somebody else. I don't remember. Uh, he says we're human becomings, not human mm. beings. Mm. Right? Um, yeah. One of my teachers was just telling me, um, being a, a Christian in the in the truest and best sense of the word is truly being human, and mm-hmm. um, we spend a lot of time being subhuman. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just I'm... wanted to um, interject there if anybody is unfamiliar with what is meant or said uh, when we're talking about Matthew five, six, and seven, and the Beatitudes in particular. It's this beautiful sermon that Jesus gives, and it's. Oh, hard to think about embodying because it's things like blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers for theirs is, am I getting this right? The kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's been a minute since I reread it. Um, and he has yeah, and, a lot, a lot to say. And, and within those chapters also the ideas of, you know, nonviolent resistance and mm-hmm. enemy love um, loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, um, seeing persecution as a blessing, you know, blessed are you when you're persecuted, um, and, and, and identifying in that persecution with the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, um, who were speaking of God in a way that, you know, resulted in, in their, demise um and understanding that testifying to the god who is love and the god who is uh the giving god uh who gives of god's self to humanity uh is a quick way to get yourself into trouble um <laughs> and and that and that kind of bears itself out over history right, right? um right. when we talk about the god who is power and the god who is um might um that's a God folks can get behind, especially the God who, uh, you know, revisits uh, our enemies with, with wrath and retribution. Right. Um, but the God who is healing and justice in the restorative sense, um, all of those things are, are facets of the God who is love and um, love plus nothing, as as Bradley Jerzak likes to say. Um, and so we have, you know, we we are participating when we do those things in in a in a heritage of of prophesying about the God who is love. Um, mm-hmm. And that that leads ultimately that progression through the Beatitudes um, 
And it's what Jim Forrest writes about in his book, The Ladder of the Beatitudes. It's a progression from poverty of, of the soul, poverty of spirit, to persecution and, mm-hmm. and, and death. Um, mm-hmm. And even if that death is just a death of ego, right, the death of the self, and, and, and theosis becoming one, one with the divine, um, that is the path that Jesus leads us on. It's a, it's a cross-shaped path. It's a taking up our cross and following Christ. It's, it's not something that is, um, you know, uh, it's not just self-improvement. Um, right. It's a, it's a, it's a narrow way. Um, and so all of, all of that really feely good stuff, you know, said to say like, um, it, it's been a gift to have those things, um, you know, to internalize those those things in a way that that leads, I think, to transformation, um, and seeing the world in a different way, seeing my neighbor in a different way, um, seeing what it means to to love enemies and and pray for those who persecute us uh, and who love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. Um, But also the ways that I have been and am being an enemy to others, you know? Um, Mm. And so um, it really, it's been a gift and, and, and I'm immensely grateful for that community um, and immensely grateful for Bradley, who is also my, my thesis supervisor and has been very, encouraging to me in my academic career. So Mm. I'm uh, fighting off all sorts of uh, jealousies and envies about your, (laughs) what you're getting to study right now. Um, But what you were just saying, it's uh, SSU.ca. You can sign up for the program. Uh, I know, but it's even distance learning. This is, you you don't know my backstory, but there are about seven times in my life when I've been called toward studying theology Mm. and have not yet been able to answer that call in, in a formal way, but I am like a moth to the flame. Um, This is, I'm drooling. I know a guy. So I bet you do. I bet you do. (laughs) Well, John, what you were just talking about, loving your enemies and realizing that you might be the enemy to somebody else, um, really strikes me as the core of Christianity. Like if there is a, um, you know, the, <laughs> I don't want to be sacrilegious here, but the Ten Commandments of Christianity, there are really two, right? When, they, when Jesus is asked, please sum up all the Torah, he says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, this reminds me of the song you wrote in the rubble. So I'd like to play that now. Um, so the folks can hear what, what I'm talking about. This is incredible. Uh, the lyrics, who told you to draw your sword, put it away. This savage fantasy of hating your enemy is not what I wanted for you. Let's give this a beautiful poem that you put to words a listen. Who told you to draw your sword? Put it away. This savage fantasy. 
hating your enemy is not what I wanted for you. It's not what I wanted for you. Who told you to be afraid? That wasn't me. Somehow confused again, twisting my words and then burning it all to the ground, burning it all to the ground. told you to fight for me that was a lie I'll bring you mercy stream justice and flourishing washing your violence away washing your violence away
Love is patient. I'll keep waiting on the broken side of town. You can find me in the rubble of the houses you broke down. I cannot begin to express to you what um, my spirit feels uh, listening to this song. Can you talk about the, how did this song come to be? Um, how, how did it, how did you birth these lyrics? Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm, it's, it's really special to me that it's meaningful to you. So thank you for, thank you for saying that and, and for even to invite me to talk about it. Like I'm, I'm, uh, that's really, really special to me. Um, the, the song came from a, a, just a place of deep sadness. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a swirl of, of different things in terms of ideas and, and people who said those things, um, you know, um, I think I referenced earlier, Reverend Dr. Munther Isaac, who is a, uh, Lutheran pastor in the West bank, um, Palestinian Christian. Um, and he wrote a piece for Sojourners magazine. Um, I think in, in November, it may have been, may have been late October actually. Um, and he talked about God being beneath the rubble in Gaza. Um, and just the idea that God being on the side of the oppressed, that's, that's where we find God is, is beneath the rubble of those, uh, you know, homes and, and churches, um, and, and places of worship, mosques, and, um, just all of the innocent people who are suffering because of, of this tragic violence. Um, you know, the, the, the violence of October 7th that was, that was wrought by Hamas, um, and the response from, from the Israeli government and the IDF, um, you know, the, the people that suffer the most in war are, are children and innocent people. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's definitely bearing itself out in, Mm -hmm. in this, um, in the situation and, and just the image of God being, uh, beneath the rubble was something that I think I've, I've told other people like it just, it rearranged my imagination. Um, even as much as, you know, I've, I've read and studied and heard and, and, and said, God is on the side of, of the oppressed to think about it that way, to think about, um, you know, when, when we're watching, people being pulled from, from the rubble, um, living people and, and dead people, um, mm. that, that is, that is where we find God in war. Um, mm. we don't, we don't find God on the side of, you know, one of the combatants. Um, and, and we want so much to put God there, to put God on our side, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, and we do that, but, what Reverend Dr. Montra Isaac was saying is, is, you know, so poignant and, and just so captivating this idea of God beneath the rubble and, and taking that idea of the God who is love and love being patient, um, waiting for us to stop waiting for us to 
to change, to, to cease um, the violence, to live into that Isaiah prophecy of, of studying war no more, um, beating our, our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and, and mm. laying down our weapons and, and seeking human flourishing. And, and the God who is loved is waiting. Excuse me. Mm. The God who is love is waiting patiently. Um, and, and what bears witness to that mm-hmm. are the humans in the image of God who are suffering because of our violence. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they are crying out against that violence. Um, and so that imagery really um, was kind of the, the jumping off point for, for, you know, this, this place of lament that I found myself in that night. Um, when I was so writing this song, song came after October 7th. Yes. Event? Okay. Yeah. Wow. This song came after in October response. 7th and, and, mm-hmm. And very much in response to, you know, um, what I would say is the. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a foreign policy expert, certainly, um, but what I would say is the disproportionate response of Israel mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the events of October seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the children children were suffering in. in on October 7th too. I'm not saying that they, they weren't, they certainly were and are um, the, the hostages in those situations and, and all those things. But um, what was weighing heavy on me as I was writing this song um, was especially in, in American Christian circles, we, we have the tendency to again, put God on, on a side and say God is on this side, um, and it happens to be the side that we're also on. Um, it just so happens, and it's an armed side with nuclear capability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a it's a side with the largest and and you know most devastating military force in history, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we put we put God on that side and and um you know when we look at Jesus's words in the sermon on the mount um and this idea that you know you've heard it said love love your neighbor and hate your enemy uh but I tell you love love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you um the audacity of that statement, you know, and, and I think even further, the audacity of those of us who claim to follow Jesus, but are quick to say, um, we're going to get them back. Right. We're going to hit them. We're going to hit them back and we're going to hit them hard. And we're going to make sure that they never do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and teach you know, them a lesson, kind of, teach them a lesson, that devastating military power. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, I don't know. I'm asking myself this question. What does an alternative response to violence even look like? And all I get from Jesus when I take this question to him is, um, have you studied my life? Do you see my response to violence? Right. Yeah. And, and that's that too. Like what, 
what we ultimately follow is the the God who dies, um, who suffers our violence. You know, um, again, I, I grew up in a tradition with this substitutionary atonement, you know, idea of what the cross means. And um, that has since been replaced in, in my theological imagination by the idea of, of a Christ who comes and, and suffers our violence, the violence that we inflict, um, not the violence that God inflicts upon Jesus. Um, and so if that is true, if that is true, if that's what we're, if that's who we're following and wanting to be come like wanting to be Christ like, um, and praying things like, you know, make us more like Jesus. Um, we are asking to follow in the footsteps of, of one who suffers violence, um, against whom violence is committed and he does not respond violently. Um, and, and so as much as we, you know, in a, in a modern, you know, Western sense would push back with ideas of self-defense or, or, or whatever. Like we just don't find that in the Jesus story. We find a, a, um, we find a divine willingness to, to be with us, even to the extent like being with us meant and means enduring and forgiving our violence, even as it is being committed. And so finding a way to that, um, and that finding a way, I, you know, I think that is what, you know, spiritual transformation and discipleship and, and, and salvation is, is about is the work of the spirit in us leading us into that. Like, I don't think that's just something that we wake up one day and decide we can do. Um, no. And if we did, it would lead to equal unhealth, maybe on the other side. I like to think of it as walking a ridge and you can fall off one side of mm-hmm. being, um, in fact, I was just having an online conversation with folks about this. Um, recently, I asked this question, where do you fall on the spectrum from selfish beast to selfless doormat. Mm. And um, it it was an interesting exchange with people like, oh, I have tended toward one or the other. Um, And the way Christ shows us is neither. It's like maybe not even on the spectrum. Perhaps it's Mm -hmm. above and beyond um, greater than all of um, our linear thinking. But um, because that's true something that particularly for women and and you know my interest is so much in in feminine spirituality and divine femininity um if i were to try to um emulate christ's nonviolent response to the violence against him if i were to try to respond to that on my own it could very easily take me into the territory of becoming abused yeah. Um, and, and not having a sense of my own boundaries and, and what is safe and good for me. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm just speaking as a woman and that's all I know, but I think 
there's something to be said here for. And I think um, that's been weaponized in the past as well against oh, women. I think it absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think it absolutely has been weaponized against women in the past. Um, yeah. And today, this idea that, you know, suffering is, you know, suffering is a way of being like mm-hmm. Jesus. And, and like you say, kind of kind of fostering that doormat theology that mm-hmm. um, almost you know, well, it definitely excuses abuse, but it also um, kind of baptizes it or whitewashes it into um, being an acceptable means of sanctification, which is not, no. Um, <laughs> hard stop. No. Yeah, hard stop. No. Um, yeah, hell no. Um, the The idea that, you know, Christ, Christ suffering our violence is, is somehow... Um, birthing in Christians, this idea of victimhood, you know, we're just, we're just ready to become victims. Um, misses, I think the, the big, you know, kind of salvation picture of the incarnation, not just the cross, um, but of the incarnation, because Christ is including in himself all of our suffering because we as as the violence doers are are suffering just as much we are suffering that violence as well like it is yes. it is corrupting us even in as much even as it's hurting others um and so Christ is taking in into himself all of our suffering and and uniting that with divinity and and so God is God is including us in a way that is is a is a mystery, mm-hmm. um, and is certainly a way that we wouldn't choose to, you know, even as modern people, like we want to we want to banish suffering, and Christ came and endured it. We want right. to remove suffering, and Christ came and endured it. Um, and and some and and in some way that also means that that that's part of what it means to be human is to be able to experience suffering in a transformational way. And in no way would I advocate that that means that enduring abuse or, or um, enduring, uh, you know, state sanctioned violence or any of those mm. things is, is somehow a, a holy thing by no means. Um but Christ is with us in that. God is with us in in those moments. Um, God is God is in the deep places of our suffering, and that is that is true on on both sides of that suffering, the inflictor and and the inflicted. Mm-hmm. And I think your uh, the the lyrics in the third verse of your song. Uh, I'll bring you to mercy's stream, justice and flourishing, washing your violence away. Because at the end of it all, violence is anti-love. There is yeah. no there there is no uh, conflating violence with love. And anybody who's saying differently is they have some work to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They have some work to do because there's there's no room in love 
for violence and, and God wants to rid us of our, our tendency toward violence. I am also enlivened when I, when I listen to your music by, um, this is, there's a segue here, I promise, but I am kind of jumping train tracks on the surface. Uh, Your understanding of women's need to be, to have our voices elevated, particularly within the church. And as you were just speaking now, you know, in situations where women have received the messaging that somehow our suffering abuse and neglect is holy, um, how those things need to be done away with. Can you talk a little bit about, and then I want to play my father's sons. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how you have come to uncover um, what's been missing within, I would say, in my words, mainstream Christianity, um, the, the female voice missing and, and how you've come to discover that? Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't. Um, let me say, I'll. I'll try and explain my personal journey with that, um, because uh, you know what it what it really feels like is not a discovery of something that was hidden from me. And and really, it feels more of like a, a coming into something that was always, you know, true and there. Um, and and also try to say in some way, on the back end of that, the there is a historic there is a way to look at the history of the church and Christian history that that is. Inclusive, inclusive and amplifying of of the voices of many women. Um, in I mean, going back to the New Testament, obviously. Um, but but there is a we have a heritage in Christianity of beautiful testimony of of feminine spirituality and and voices of of female leaders and teachers and mystics and mothers who have stewarded the traditions of the women at the tomb, you know? Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll try to come back around to that as well. For me, um, you know, growing up in a tradition um, in which women could not be uh, pastors or clergy, whatever. We didn't, we didn't have clergy, but we had pastors, Um, you know, preaching was, was men's work, that kind of thing. Um, You know, my, my spiritual journey from the, from childhood um, was deeply shaped by, women. Um, I think my, you know, from a young, young age, my greatest spiritual touchstone is my grandmother. Um, and I think I told you a little bit of the story on the phone when we talked the first time. Um, 
you know, my, uh, my grandmother who is, is still living. Um, and, and with whom I have a wonderful relationship, my, my mother's mother. Um, when I was a small child, um, she was a practicing alcoholic. And, and when she uh, came into sobriety and was going to AA meetings, she asked my parents if she could take me with her. And they said yes. Um, and so I have a lot of like young core memories um, and I'm not endorsing this, uh, by any means, I'm just saying it, it happened. Um, you know, I, I, I think I told you on the phone, I learned the Lord's prayer as a small child at Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> meetings <laughs> with my grandmother. I don't think I a learned, lot of folks could say that, John. <laughs> I, I, no, probably not. Um, I love, I love to tell the story this way. I, I usually, I, you know, I've, I've blown it now, but I usually say to people, you know, I, I learned the Lord's prayer when I was five. No, no, that's not how I do it. Yeah. This way. I learned the Lord's prayer at Alcoholics Anonymous when I was five years old. <laughs> and then I kind of, like, wow. I like to watch the face like alcoholics when you were five, you know, uh, but, but the truth is like, um, my watching my grandmother's journey in sobriety and, and her relationship with Jesus unfolding in that way, um, in this like true transformation. And I don't have any memories of, of, you know, the earlier time at all. Um, mm -hmm. But I do have memories of, of you know, going to meetings and, and, and things like that and, um, you know, of internalizing some of those things about, you know, God, God intervening in our lives. And, and um, when we reach the end of ourselves, you know, uh, that's that's where we find the divine waiting for us to, to you know, um, and, and so those things those things were deeply shaped by, you know, this, this positive female influence in my life. Um, and a lot of what I know about Jesus, I, you know, I learned from my grandmother, I, you yeah. know, um, and I hold on to that now, um, because I realize that I've been shaped by so many um, female pastors and teachers and, and voices in my life that, um, I wouldn't be who I am without those people. Um, mm. you know, a lot of, a lot of my spiritual journey and especially in the last 12 to 15 years has really been kind of unlearning the, the, toxic masculinity that I came up in the, the, you know, just fully cutting off 50% of the population and, and assigning them to the children's ministry or whatever in church. Um, and this weird cutoff that like you can be taught by a woman until you're 18 years old. Um, or in some traditions, 12 or 12 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, so, so what has, you know, what has helped me kind of unlearn that is 
not to have a vacuum where I just, you know, where Mark Driscoll or whatever is, is <laughs> turned down, um, which yeah. I mean, by all means, crank that volume down to zero. Yep. 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 Um, but, but in a way like replacing that with, with voices that do reveal the, the other half of, of who God is. Mm. The other, the other half of, of what God wants to, to say to us in the voices of, of my sisters and siblings who, um, have, have been actively silenced. Right. Um, and, and I look, you know, I look at the, the individuals who have personally affected me in the last, you know, decade or so. Um, and I'm, and I'm deeply grateful for them and the relationships that I, I still have. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, even to this day, I, I lament the fact that many of them, even if they're in Christian denominations that allow them to be ordained and, and preach and all those things, they still feel like they have to fight in some ways. They still right. feel like they, they're, they're competing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and we don't really have much of a framework yet for what, um, what it looks like to, as you were saying, and I'm, I'm uh, tagging this and wanting to get back to it after the song about the other half of God. <laughs> um, yeah. We hardly yeah. have a framework for what, what does it look like for God to have feminine characteristics too, so that we know that our femininity derives directly from God and not um, as an afterthought. Yeah. And there's, and there's so much scriptural imagery to provide that framework. Yes. You know, there's so much already there and, and the ones that, the ones that interact with it or, or whatever, um, you know, it's almost like growing up, like tried to find ways to, to not make it about feminine, the feminine, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And instead of just being willing to embrace that, like, um, and, and I think in, in your song, uh, you asked this question, like, what are you so afraid of? Like, why, why is this scary to you to think about? Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, ultimately I'm asking that question because I know in me, it's still about power, Mm. you know, it's still, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of losing power. Um, or, or, a you know, uh, platform or whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it. Like that's so, what we're risking. What is it that you say in the song, the white knuckle hold on the microphone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's have that song play now. So folks okay. can know what, what we're talking about. And then I want to get back to the whole thread about the feminine part of the divine. So here is my father's sons. My father's sons won't let his daughters in the house unless it's in the kitchen or the rooms with all the kids. What do you 
song does for me and for I'm sure many sisters of mine who uh, we've spent a lot of time in the rooms in the home where the kitchen is and where the children are Um, and where we really want to be is in the living room at Jesus feet as disciples should be Um, and so Thank you for recognizing this and honoring um, who we are and, and what our giftedness is about and how we, too, reflect the divine. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I... Again, I'm I'm just so moved that that it's meaningful to you and 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 to others. Like one of the gifts of of I think being a songwriter and getting to share music with other people um, is is getting to hear how that music connects with others in in ways that I couldn't have even 
imagined when, when I wrote the song, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wrote that song in an angry place. I think, um, watching the, you know, kind of a major component of the tradition I grew up in vote churches out of their system because these churches had, you know, either ordained or named or whatever, um, women as pastors on their staff, on their website or whatever. How dare they? I know. Um, Mm -hmm. but, and so, and so I was in, I was in an angry space, um, writing that song, um, and asking that question, you know, what do you have or who even more importantly, do you have to fear? Mm. Um, Because we, we have this idea that, you know, um, we, or at least we've told ourselves for a long, long time that we're, we're doing what God wants us to do by excluding female voices from the pulpit. Um, and you know, it's kind of absurd to me a little bit. Um, like no one has ever questioned my platform, right? Ever. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. a as a white male with musical talent and and whatever else, um, you know, there are so many churches that I could just walk into and preach, um, or lead in some way, shape, or form. Like I don't have to. I don't have to qualify in a lot of ways. And, and I certainly don't have to qualify in the ways that my sisters have to qualify. Um, because they have to be even better than, you know, the best man in the room. Right. Um, and, uh, so to, to have you say, um, and to have others say to me, like, um, that song makes me feel seen or that song, you know, helps me, gives me language for, and both of these songs have been, I've had, I've, I've been blessed enough to have the experience of having people say like, that song gives words to something that I, and, and that as a songwriter is, that's it. Like that's, that's the beat, <laughs> you know, um, I guess a Grammy would be <laughs> yeah. not even close to that mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to be fortunate enough to have other people listen to a song that, you know, I wrote as a way of working through my own anger or, or sadness um, and know that other people are out there feeling the same, the same thing too mm. Um, mm. and are experiencing it in ways that I'm not experiencing it, you know, um, but that my song gets to be, um, a part of that is just such a privilege. Well, I tell you, it is my story and someday I'll share all of the parts in, in some form or another. But, um, in college, I realized I, I really wanted to study theology and, um, I was at, I was a part of a tradition that was wondering whether or not women could have the right to preach. Um, And my university was affirming of that, of women. 
And so they set me up with a mentor who was already out being a pastor and um, they kind of took me under their wing and like, oh, here, here comes another one. Let's see what we can do to offer her the resources she might need. And ultimately, I shied away. I backed out of it largely because I knew that outside the confines of my wonderful university with my religion professors who and theology professors who saw this that you're describing, um, I didn't want my career to be about the fight for the pulpit. And so I went off and, and I became a teacher, which I both loved and also settled for because mm. nobody would question if I was teaching Bible to a room full of children um, yeah. the way that they would if I were teaching Bible to a room full of adults. And so um, later on, fast forward many years, I was also again my local congregation was a little bit more amenable to women in the ministry. And so they were seeking an associate pastor and my name came up and they were very happy to consider me as a nominee. And then they took it to the uh, conference and that's the, like the overall group of the mm -hmm. tiny groups. It's like the state with all the cities inside. And uh, the conference said, we don't think it would be a good idea to hire Annie because your church would be amenable to her. But what if she needs to move? We couldn't place her anywhere else. And so better hire a man. Um, and I've had a few other experiences akin to those, but. Um, so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and it's okay. It is well now. Um, and, and better things are happening. Um, I'm glad it is okay for you. Yeah. That's um, I, I really am like, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, the uh, the thing that has transformed me in recent years is the awakening I've experienced to. Um, so this question came to me. I don't remember if I shared it with you on the phone or not, how I began to wonder about things that eventually led me to, oh, God has feminine characteristics too. And so that's where you get them from, like they are divine too, just like mm -hmm. masculine traits. Um, but it came in, a, in the form of reading a book that sparked me to ask the question, hey, why are all my books on my shelf almost exclusively authored by males? Mm -hmm. Almost all of them, with the exception mm -hmm. of maybe 10%. Um, why is that? And then the questions began to come. And after I would consider one question and think about it, then the next one would bombard me until finally I was looking at the the Godhead and wondering, wait, wait a minute. Um, is God the father a single dad? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, does God experience any form of intimacy as in sexually the way that we do? Um, who is the spirit character? And then those questions led me on this beautiful path toward mm. uh, uh, the direction I've, I've headed in now, which is, oh, yeah, I have missed a lot. And I feel like I'm playing catch up, looking at the Holy Spirit's feminine characteristics and being mm. like a kid in a candy shop with my hands on the windows, my face pressed in. Are you kidding me? Could it really be that good? Could I really have a divine mother as well as a divine father? Because mm. that would just that would, my mm -hmm. head would explode. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I have anything to add to that. Um, I, you know, what's been, what's been beautiful to me is hearing stories like that, um, where I just woke Siri up on my computer. That was, that was really something. Um, what's, what's been beautiful to me really is, is hearing stories like yours where certainly we were conditioned to see not just God as a single father, um, but, but God as this, um, the Trinity as this hierarchy, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm. Way down here. Way, right? way below. She, this she weird even, extra, yeah. extra um, God creature. And and not only does the early church, as as the theology of the Trinity is forming, right? Um, not have a hierarchy. <laughs> um, you know, um, the the idea of 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 you know um splitting those up in that way is um is is a heresy mm. um and so we've been conditioned to close off our imaginations you know um especially into this you know sort of masculine hierarchy i think um and and even even when I talk about it, I don't feel I don't feel qualified to talk about this because I still feel like my imagination is is recovering from that. Um, you know, one of the one of the healing things for me has been coming into more ancient traditions of the faith that you know venerate women who are saints and and you know. Uh, have a much more prominent place for Mary. Um, and, and, you know, growing up in a Baptist church, like calling Mary, the mother of God was a no, no. Um, and the more that I've sat with that and the more that I've learned from these more ancient traditions and, and, and even, you know, not just reading ancient fathers and mothers, but also those, the way that those traditions are stewarded today. Sure. Yeah. In the, in the Catholic and Orthodox churches. Um, that, that Mary is the mother of God also means that Mary is the mother of us, right? Like we have this, mm. we have this mom, <laughs> mm. um, who who birthed divinity into the world in a way that that I don't have a I don't have language for that mm-hmm. um and uh that God chooses that way to enter into our reality mm-hmm. says some something deep about the divine yeah. um and and like you say um the feminine characteristics of god um that we that we either gloss over or dismiss or don't recognize um mm-hmm. like we we really are losing 
have lost mm. um, this these beautiful attributes of of who God is, and mm-hmm. and I think when Jesus you know invokes that imagery of a mother hen gathering Jerusalem beneath her wings and and all of the divine feminine language in the Psalms. Um, you know, I, yeah, a lot of it's modernity and, and whatever else again, um, that I think has, has twisted those things up for us. Um, and it, and that infects a lot of, a lot of things. Um, mm. you know, not just, not just conservative evangelical circles, right? Um, it's affected the whole world. Yeah. Um, and, and again, our, our notion of God as this, you know, powerful thing um, lends itself to that kind of toxic masculinity, right? right. Um, it supports it almost. Not yeah, almost. Michael, it does support it. It does support it. it and, and they're codependent ideas. Yeah. Right. Um, they they very much feed off of each other. Michael Gorman, um, in his book Inhabiting the Cruciform God, talks about um, Jesus's canonic love, like Jesus's emptying of himself in Philippians two, is so subversive and and um, to our idea of God, right? Mm, because mm-hmm. we have we have these preconceptions of God as a God who takes whatever he wants. And what, and what Christ is showing us in, in emptying himself and taking on the form of a slave um, and, and submitting to death is a God who eternally gives and doesn't take and doesn't claim for himself. Mm. Right. That's, that's what Paul is writing there that, you know, uh, didn't treat equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Mm. And so when we have this preconception of God as the God who takes whatever God wants by force, mm-hmm. um, we automatically assign that male, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And right. part of the reason that we do that is because historically that's what males do. Right. Um, that, that has become that codependent conditioning right. thing. It right? cycles back in on itself and it's mm-hmm. an echo chamber then. Yep. Because I, as, as a man, like the expectation is if I want something, go out and get it, mm-hmm. go out and take it. Um, and one of the things that I'm learning and, and writing about um, is, is how to be, how to be willing uh, say it this way um, one of the things that I'm learning and writing about is is how to allow yourself to to see something that is inspiring or beautiful or or captivating, and instead of saying, "I want that or I have to have that um, learning to say, "I want to be like that whoa. Um, learning, learning instead of, instead of surrounding, surrendering, 
instead of taking, being taken by. Um, and instead of, and instead of saying, I have to have that, um, learning to say, I, I want to be like that. Um, and that is the, you know, and, and again, we, we sort of assign those taking and, and, and forceful things, masculine qualities. Right. Um, and that shows up in literature throughout history and, and mm-hmm. um, it, it shows up, certainly it bears itself out in society. Um, but ultimately it has to do with our conception of God. It has to do mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. with how we see the divine as this taker, you know? And so when we, when we say we surrender to God, um, we don't see God as mutually surrendering to us. Oh, that is that's so profound. Precisely, that's precisely what Christ is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, is is emptying himself, not of his divinity, and that's what Gorman is saying. Mm. Not not of his divinity, but exercising his divinity mm. in emptying himself. That's what it means to be divine. That it doesn't mean to be it a God who takes whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. When he wants, how he wants, right. by force. Um, but instead, to to empty yourself of of love, in love, through love, because of love, mm-hmm. um, and into the world. Um, I I want to read you this quote. Can I read you this quote? Absolutely. Um, I have to get up and get it. No, I don't. Okay. It's on my phone. It's on your um, phone. Okay. Yeah, I took a picture of it. So, um, my the the main theologian that I'm dealing with in my thesis is a 20th century Swiss Catholic theologian named Hans Urs von Balthasar. I've come across his work. I'm sure you have. Um, <laughs> I love him, um, and and. I'm just scratching the surface of his work. Um, but his theology of beauty has been a main source of theological content for my thesis. And, and this is, and this is what he says. And you, and you can tell me, um, if this sounds more masculine or feminine, we'll put it in that, we'll put it in that. binary. Okay. Fair enough. Now, by act of faith and surrender, what is meant in the Bible and in reality is an act of self-surrendering love to God. For this reason, it is not erroneous to say that the lover in all things renounces what is his own and desires to clear all available space in himself for the beloved. The lover, therefore, embraces as his own the experience which is the beloved's. And, on the contrary, he no longer desires to have within himself what a non-lover would call his own experience, but to have it only in the beloved. Nor again is it erroneous to say, in a Christian sense, the believer can have objective experiences in Christ and in the church, which need not be consciously perceived by him in a subjective psychological sense. Um, and he's going on to say like, um, the, the, 
the experiences that we have in Christ and in the church are already, um, you know, subjective in our, Mm. in our being. Um, but, but the, the earlier part of the quote is, um, is the important part. Like the lover embraces as his own, the experience, which is the beloved's. Mm -hmm. And he no longer desires to have within himself what a non-lover would call his own experience, but to have it only in the beloved. Yes. Um, and so this idea of, of emptying, <coughs> oh, excuse me, this idea of emptying oneself to make space for the beloved, because we see that, we see that in Christ. We yeah. see that in ourselves as well. Right when we when we surrender to God in faith, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. making space for the divine in ourselves, and as von Balthasar would say, um, Christ unfolding Himself in our reality, like in our in our yes. souls, in our beings. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems to me very the two becoming one. You know this this yeah. great metaphor God has offered us in. Mm-hmm unity uh, of in the unity of marriage right yep. however that looks and there's lots to say about that mm-hmm. um this mystery of two beings um being fully present and together experiencing one another such that um thought is fluid mm-hmm. being is fluid right um an experience and, of oneself in the experience yes. of the other, right? Something I think. Through. I think Rob Bell talks about this. One of my teachers <laughs> says, um, whenever I would do one of the unity candle ceremonies mm. um, in a wedding, I would always hate to see the part where the couple each have their own candle and then light the middle candle so that it's lit, and then they blow out their own flames. Right. Right. Yeah. He would say, keep all the, like all the candles. Yep. Um, so that I you are that. not losing yourself. You are entering into greater light together in this That's right. unique um, expression of who you are individually and together collectively making a new unit. Yep. I want to get to the place where um, when I consider God, I am done needing to consider gender, but I'm just not, I'm not healed past all of this yet. So I'm really at this um, place I'm camping out in, you know, in my understanding and experience the the beautiful wide open heart of God the Father interplaying with the nurturing arms of God the Mother the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even have words for how Jesus ends up in this picture and the mm-hmm. and and the unity the relationship that is the three of them always together um, birthing all things into be, into being mm-hmm. and so that reminds me of um, your version of the doxology where 
Uh, and I've heard you do it a couple of times. Don't think I haven't noticed, John, where you speak of God and God's self rather than uh, assigning a gendered pronoun to I'm God. I'm still and learning I just, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I love it. And, and I thank you. And we need that. Um, and so I wanted to send us off with, with the doxology that you've done. It's just so beautiful. Musically, it's, it's just exquisite. Um, but also it does things for my soul. Again, hearing this beloved song from my heritage, obviously, um, and, and revering and honoring God as God, not as necessarily and always he, his, him. Um, before we get there though, I want to offer you just a chance. If somebody listening is like, I need more of this guy's music, how can Hmm. people find you? How can they uh, reach out to you and say, thank you? Where are you in the great big wide world so people can find you? Yeah, um, my music is available at johnhatfield.net. And I hope hope to have um, some studio versions of My Father's Sons and In the Rubble and several other songs. Um, a little later, the early part of this year, um, sometime in the springtime. Um, so my music's available at johnhatfield.net. Um, I'm on Instagram is probably the best place to, I'm on Twitter too, but I mean, X or Twitter or what, I don't I can't do care. It. <laughs> uh, Instagram, you can just take all that out. Um, I'm on Insta- <laughs> I'm on Instagram at John Hatfield music. Um, and, and those are really the, the best places to find me, um, and have been the places that, that, uh, I've had the richest interaction with, with folks. Um, well, clearly it's a good place to meet you because that's how I found out about you. Yeah. That's how how we connected. Um, but yeah, I, um, I want to say real quick, like I can't take credit for the, the, um, the version of doxology that lyrically, um, yeah. Uh, a good friend of mine who's an Episcopal priest here in Houston, his name is Jacob Breeze. Um, his church is called Holy Family. Um, he was the one who introduced me to um, the lyrics of the doxology, you know, saying God, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise, praise God, all creatures here below. Um, praise God above ye heavenly hosts. And then there is still masculine praise, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've told people in the past, like, I'm comfortable using father language to talk about God because Jesus d- does, you know. Um, I think there is a healing aspect to that. Um, maybe not for everybody. Um, but what what I want is for our vision, like you're talking about. And I think this podcast is a big part of that. And I, and I, um, I'm grateful for your work in the world. Like what I want is for us to move beyond that idea into the imagination that God is, is bigger than mm-hmm. our metaphors of, of father, um, and our metaphors of, of gendered language or, or whatever. Um, precisely because the, I believe the incarnation is true. Um, I believe that Jesus takes humanity into divinity and makes them one. And that means humanity, not male or female. You know, I, I really, I, I literally believe uh, what Paul says 
that in Christ there is no male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, for all are one in Christ Jesus. All are one in Christ Jesus. All <laughs> are one in Christ Jesus. Whoa. I'm just going to keep saying it. Um, and that also that means that that your experiences and my experiences are are interconnected. Um, our experiences of God and our experiences in the world. Um, I hope that I'm becoming more sensitive to the suffering of my sisters and the things that they've that they've experienced simply for being women. The injustices that they've experienced. Uh, I hope that I'm 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 able to identify with that, not just not just acknowledge it and and see it, but mm-hmm. but identify with it. Um, I hope that I'm able to identify with the suffering of those who who have who have been afflicted by my Christian faith and the weaponization of my Christian faith, not just acknowledge it, but identify with it and work to, to transform that and heal it. Um, and I think that all starts with a picture of God that is, that is big, bigger mm-hmm. and continuing to get bigger. Um, because I believe that beauty is an invitation to to experience divine love and i think that love is inclusive of of existence of of humanity certainly but of existence in general that 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 what jesus does in the incarnation is he he brings existence into oneness with with god mm. and i think that's the starting point i think that imagination is the starting point for those other things, for those mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. liberations and transformations. And, and so um, while I can't take credit for, for incorporating God and not male gendered pronouns in the doxology, that has been a gift to me. Like I, I can't sing it the old, the old way anymore. <laughs> um, and uh, a church that I was serving a few years back when, when my time at that church came to an end, I don't even, I can't reach it to show it to you, but um, one of the gifts they gave me as, as I was leaving to go serve elsewhere um, was this beautiful handwritten musical setting of the doxology mm-hmm. with God instead of he, the way you sing it is what they, they got it. <laughs> It got yeah, to them. Yeah, it did. It did, and, and it became an important part of of their worship, um, as much as it's an important part of my worship. And again, like, there's no greater reward as a songwriter for things like that. Um, but my hope is that it it, it expands our imaginations mm. um, and mm. our experience of God in worship that I think is transformative. Because as That's we right. begin to see God as bigger and bigger and bigger. And that expansiveness, it, that expansiveness is inclusivity, right? It is yes. wrapping itself around more and more and more of our existence. Um, it cannot help but do that. Exactly. Um, yeah. So thank you for all of that and for the ability to even talk about this stuff. I'm so, <laughs> so grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a gift to me. And uh, thank you for the work that you are doing in this world. Uh, 
in your preparations for whatever comes next in your listening and uh, tuning in and then letting these songs come through you. Um, thank you, especially for your attention to um, your sisters. It is noted and deeply, deeply appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. And now I'm going to close out this whole podcast with Amen plus Doxology. And if you knew, if you want to find me, you know how to get a hold of me, barelychristianfullychristian.com. I hope you enjoy this song as much as I do. Yeah.